0: text I read two Sundays ago out of the book of Proverbs, chapter 3, reading verses 1 through 10 in the New King James Version. The word said, My son, do not forget my law, but let your heart keep my commands. For length of days and long life and peace they will add to you. Let not mercy and truth forsake you. Bind them around your neck, write them on the tablet of your heart, and so find favor and high esteem in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He shall direct your paths. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the firstfruits of all your increase. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. As I stand before you today, regardless of where you may be in your personal life and your personal walk with the Lord, I think everybody in this room today would agree. And I've got a witness going on over here. Praise the Lord. And uh, wherever that's from, Mama, let me let you know. That don't bother me a bit. Do you know what a quiet church is a sign of? A dead church. Where there's no babies and nobody growing up in church. Then the church is dying. So I, wherever that's at, mama, just know that doesn't bother me a bit. But as I stand before you today, in this world that we're living in, I think we all would agree. If we've ever seen a time that we all need to trust the Lord, it's now. We can't put our confidence and our hope in anywhere else. We can't put our trust in the White House. We better put our trust in His house. Regardless of whether or not you're a fan or or it's your preference of who is in the highest office in this land, I want to tell you this morning, regardless of that situation, my trust and my confidence and my hope has never been in that office anyway. My hope and my trust and my confidence is in God and God alone. We better put our trust in Him this morning. So I want to preach to you the second part of a of a sermon I've simply titled Trust Test. If you will, pray with me and for me one more time. Father, we love you, we thank you, we praise you for all of the wonderful things that we've already experienced in this worship service today. But God, right now, as we break the bread of life together, I pray that you would remove every hindrance and distraction. God, I pray that you would anoint the ear of every hearer and the heart, Lord, of every receiver, that we would both hear and receive the word that you're speaking to your people today. And God, I pray, Lord, that that you would just do what only you can do in this service and in this altar service today, Lord by your word and we give you the glory, the honor, and the praise in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. You may be seated. A.W. Tozer said this, and I had Trevor make me a slide to put it on the screen for you so that you could read it as I read it, so that you can let it sink in. He said, the man of pseudo-faith will fight for his verbal creed, but refuse flatly to allow himself to get into a predicament where his future must depend on that creed Being true, he always provides himself with secondary ways of escape so he will have a way out if the roof caves in. Listen to this part though. He said, What we need very badly these days is a company of Christians who are prepared to trust God as completely now as they know they must do at that last day. Let me say that again. What we need very badly these days is a company of Christians who are prepared to trust God as completely now as they must do at that last day. When I prepared this sermon, I prepared an acrostic Seven years ago for the word trust. And I'm sharing some points off of that with you. And I'm not normally a point preacher. But if you're taking notes. Here's what the, the trust acrostic stands for. T, take an inventory. We talked about that two weeks ago take an inventory of where you stand in your personal walk with Jesus can do I trust the Lord and can the Lord trust me take an inventory of where you are I want to say something else to us this morning on taking an inventory just as I review very quickly I want to remind us this morning we don't need to be saying as a people of God how much of God do I have but the question that we need need to be asking this morning is how much of me does god have Because there is a big difference. Come on, somebody, this morning. There's a big difference in the question of how much of God do I have or how much of me does God have? Because unfortunately, we find ourselves living in a day where many churches across this nation uh, this morning are filled with people who are trying to see how much they can do and still get by, instead of trying to see how much they can give up and how much much of God, they, I mean, how much of themselves they can give to God are you with me this morning see we want to think that just because we worship, just because we pray just because we lift our hands and we praise that everything's always going to be hunky dory but I want to tell you this morning that's not the way that it works and there's a, there's conditions to promises that are in this book from God, I'm going to get ahead of myself a little bit but that's okay I won't have to say it when I get there, the, the promises of God are conditions conditional. The love God has for you is unconditional. But God's promises to you are conditional. I quoted one of those promises when we lifted the offering and the tithe this morning. Malachi chapter 3. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be meat in my house and prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, and see if Uh, if is a conditional word if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that you don't have enough room to receive somebody said Pastor Sean I don't know why I'm having it so hard I don't know why I'm struggling so much financially the promises in God's word are conditional when you do your part then God does his but don't expect because you're coming to church doing a little patty cake raising your hands and worshiping that God's going to give you all kinds of financial blessings when you're not fulfilled your part of the promise. There's another conditional promise in the Word of God, 2 Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 14 says, if, say if, if If is a conditional word, if my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then, say then, say then, if. Then, then will I hear from heaven. Then will I forgive their sin. Then will I heal their land. I don't understand why things are going on the way they are. Even the church is being persecuted. If my people, which call themselves by my name, shall help see a lot of people want to say, I go to church, I pray, I seek his faith. We just don't want to turn from our wicked ways. We don't want to turn from our wicked ways because nobody can convince us they're wicked. Because we're living in a day and time where you can't get anybody convicted of sin because everything's okay. I can do anything I want to do and still go to church. Uh huh. I can party, oh, it's going to get quiet up in this Presbyterian church today. I can party it up on Saturday night down at the, uh, I started to say brothel, Lord help me Jesus. I can party it up on Saturday night down at the saloon. We got one of those in town now. I can party it up down there at the saloon on Saturday night. But then I can come into the house of God on Sunday morning. I can pat a cake and I can lift my hands. But I ain't turning from my wicked ways. See, there's a problem there, folks. You cannot do anything that you want to do and expect God to bless it. You cannot do things that are contradictory to the word of God. And expect God to pour his blessings on you. If You want the blessings of God. If my people, which are called, call themselves by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Fornication ain't okay. I'm going to tell you, if it's against the word of God, it's part of the conditional promise. If it's against the Word of God, it's contradictory to the Word of God, then that's part of the wicked ways the Word of God is telling us to turn from. You want to see revival in the church? We ought to start marking up to the Word of God, and then we'll see revival. I said it two weeks ago. It didn't work for Achan, and it won't work for us. We can't hide sin in the tent. R, recognize God as your source. Recognize God as your source of everything. God is our only source. I've already said that this morning. He's our only source of hope. Psalms chapter 46 says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in the time of trouble. You worried about the world that we're living in? God is our refuge and strength, a very present help. You know what that means? A right now kind of help, right now in the time of trouble. Therefore, will not we fear, though the earth be removed, though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though the earth shake with the swelling thereof, we're we're not going to fear, you know, why there is a river, the streams whereof shall make glad the cities of our God, the holy place of the tabernacles of the Most High. Read it Psalms 46. God is in the midst of her, who is she? She's the church. <laughs> See, you worried about what's going on in the world? Get right in the church. Hello, this morning. God is in the midst of her, she shall not be moved. God shall help her. And that right early Read it for yourself You understand God's principles We're going to review these real quickly Because there's ten of them I touched on them very briefly two weeks ago So I'm going to move through these quickly And then we're going to get to the S and the T You understand God's principles First of all If you're writing them down I'm going to go through them quickly Number one, the who's in charge principle God's the owner I'm just the manager Same for you Every resource, every blessing, everything I have today is a gift from God. Number two, the give and grow principle. Practicing stewardship in all areas of your life will produce growth in all areas of your life. I'm not just talking about money. The do it now principle. Stewardship deals with our present resources. Not what I used to have. Not what I'm going to have. But what I have right now. What God is asking us today is what are you doing with your gifts and your abilities And your talents that you have right now. What are you doing with those? Number four, the I'm in debt principle. When I read this two weeks ago, some of y'all went, oh me, that's me. I ain't talking about that kind of debt. From the moment that we're born, though, we are debtors. The Apostle Paul said, I'm a debtor. Basically saying that I've come into this world already given many blessings and now I'm responsible to return as many of those blessings as I possibly can to the kingdom of God and his people. Number five, the fountain of youth principle. I got some of y'all's attention there. I just kind of started realizing some things about myself recently. I turned 46 next month. Things ain't like they always used to be. Say amen, somebody. The fountain of youth principle. We live forever through our giving. Do you realize that? Not just of our financial resources. I don't mean that, just that at all. But as we give of our time. Do you know time is one of the most precious gifts you can give to the people that love you? Time is one of the most precious gifts you can give to your spouse or your children. And it's also one of the most precious gifts you can give back to the kingdom of God your time, your talent, yes your tithe, but it's only those things that last forever so Angie and I have done decided we love Abby and Shelby better than life, I tell them that all the time but we're not out to try to leave them a big fortune for them to fight over once we're gone I've seen it happen too many times people just always want to hoard up more and more and more and more and then when something happens to them And they're gone, their whole family goes to fighting and feuding over money. Can I tell you this morning, it ain't worth it. I said it ain't worth it. You know what I'm going to do? I'm not going to lay up all my money in the bank. I'm going to lay up my treasure in heaven, like this book says, where moth and rust is not corrupt. And thieves can't even break in and steal it. I'm going to put it. See, they're worried about the financial system right now, right? Everybody's worried about that. You know, don't go pulling all your money out of the bank. There is FDIC insurance. And if you're a credit union, there's NCUA. But don't worry about all that stuff. But let me tell you, everybody's worried about the financial system right now. You know what I have to say about that? Don't be trying to lay up stuff in the financial system anyway. Lay up enough to get by. But lay up your treasures in heaven where moth and rust don't corrupt and thieves couldn't break in and steal if they wanted to number six the who's number one principle God deserves the first of everything everything say everything there's a tendency instead of giving our best or our first that we often give him our leftovers Matthew chapter 22 verses 36 through 38 Jesus was asked one time teacher which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and the great commandment. In Proverbs 3 and verse 9, the writer said, Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase. 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and verse 2 said, On the first day of the week, let each one of you lay aside something, storing up as he may prosper, that there be no collections when I come. Now that jumped off the page to me this past week. Do you know that there's about five Angela Disneys in the Tri-County area, and four of them pay their bills. But obviously, there's one that don't. I don't know which one she is. It ain't mine. But I had a. De- Anybody ever had a phone call from a debt collector? Several years ago, I had a phone call from a debt collector on a bill that wasn't hers and you know what I found out see I've always pretty much been the one that gave it out I rarely had to collect it I gave it out to people that paid it back praise the Lord but anyway I got a phone call from a debt collector you know what I learned about debt collectors they're not nice they didn't call you to chat they don't care how your kids and your wife and your family's doing they want you to pay your bill even if it ain't your bill they want you to pay the bill and I read that and that jumped off the page to me. This is Paul talking, but he says, On the first day of the week, let each one of you lay aside something, storing up as he may prosper, that there be no collections when I come. I don't know about you, but when the Lord comes back, I don't want, him, I don't want to think that he'd have to try to collect what I didn't pay. Not just my tithe, my time, my talent, and the things I could be given the kingdom. God tells us where to give those things to him first. I want to share something with you about John Maxwell. He writes about his 14-year-old son. Maxwell is one of my favorite authors. He talks about his 14-year-old son, Joe Porter, uh, when he got his first job. And I love this because uh, Abby and I kind of had the same kind of discussion when she got her first job several years ago. She's 21 now. She'll be 22 in December. But she uh, was 16 when she started working. When she first got that first paycheck, it took us a little while. It took us a little while, let me tell you took us a little while. She didn't understand that you needed to give back 10% of everything God blessed you with. Daddy, I just brought home $120. You mean to tell me God's concerned about $12? dollars i got to give $12 to Him? Yes, honey, that's the way it works. It's not how much you make, it's that you give a percentage to Him. Guess what? Now she gets it. And I tell you, she really gets it because she's told me before, I got paid, I paid my tithes, and this happened, that happened. You know what that is? That's God meeting the conditions of His promise promises in the Word. Here's what Maxwell said, though, about his 14-year-old son getting his first job. He said he got his first official paycheck. Boy, was he thrilled. He came home, he showed me that paycheck, and he marched into his room where his mom was. And he looked at Margaret, which was Maxwell's wife, and he said, you know, I'm not sure I can afford to tithe. Now, I thought, how typical of us, isn't it? He's got more money in his hand than he's ever had in his entire life, and what happens? Greed sets in. All of a sudden, you know what? I could use this. I could take it over here. I could do that. And Maxwell said and I thought of the mouth that out of the mouth of a 14-year-old boy true to nature comes this whole question of where do I put God? Is he first? Is he second? Is he fifth? Or is he 25th in my life? Maxwell says let me ask you a question. Where is God in your life right now? I didn't say this, but the Lord did. He said where your treasure is, there's where your heart is also. Where your treasure is, there's where your heart is also. Number seven, the cheerful attitude principle. Stewardship begins with loving, not giving. Paul said that God loves a cheerful giver. You know what I have found in this life? I have found that we can give without loving, but we cannot love without giving most of us in this room that have a child would if you, if we're worth our salt you would say you would give your very life for your child is that not right we can give without loving but we cannot love without giving. Love has to be the foundation of everything we do. If it's not the foundation of my relationship with God, I'm always going to have a problem. Because you see, love will ask, how much can I give? Again, we're not just talking about money, but how much of me can I give? But legalism asks, how little can I give and still get by? And there's a major difference between the two. Number eight, the big shovel principle. You cannot outgive God. Say amen, somebody. Whether it's time, talent, or treasure, you cannot outgive God. Jesus said in Luke 6 and 38, Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, here it is again though, it's conditional. Give and it will be given to you. You want it to be given to you? You've got to give. Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, shall men put into your bosom. And the next phrase says, For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. You know what? That's a powerful principle. Jesus is saying right here that I measure the standard on how it comes back to me. What I give out of joy and cheerfulness, that's what I'm going to get back. It's called the big shovel principle. Because God's saying, if you'll do your part, I'll do more than you do. A very generous giver was once asked, how is it that you give so much and yet God has blessed you financially in every area? And he replied, it's very simple. I shovel in and God shovels back. God's got a bigger shovel than I do. The, the river principle, number nine, our life is to be like a river, not a reservoir. In other words, I'm to be a conduit. I'm to take my life and not hold on to what God has given to me. My, all of those things that God's blessed me with, time, talent, treasure, hold, we're not to hold on to what God has given to us. Two Sundays ago in the 845 service, before I preached the first message, the Holy Spirit spoke during the worship, and he said, release your reservations. In other words, stop holding back from me. We're to be a conduit. We're not to hold on to what God's given us, but we're to pass it on to others. Uh, S.D. Gordon wrote a book titled Quiet Talks on Prayer, and he said something that I love in this book. He said, there is one inlet of power in our life, one, and that's the Holy Spirit, but there's five Outlets of power in our life. We're to let, if we're going to be a river and not a reservoir, we're to let God's power flow through us in these five areas. And if you're writing them down, here they are. Number one, through our life. What we are. Who we are. Integrity is what you do when nobody's watching. It's what you listen to when nobody's listening. Through our life. What and who we are. God's looking for some people to be the real deal. Can I get an amen this morning? Through our lips, what we say. Some of us fail in that area sometimes. Say some things we shouldn't. Through our ministry, what we do. Our ministry, we all have a ministry. Through what we do. Through our money, yes. What we give. Through our prayer. Why do you think I prayed the way I prayed this morning? What we claim in Jesus' name. There's power in the name of Jesus through our prayer. And we make make a living in this life by what we get. But we make a life by what we give. Number 10, the who has whom principle. Here's the bottom line. Unless God is in control of my life, I'm out of control. Unless God is in control of my life, I'm out of control. Now I want to talk about... The S and the T, and we'll wrap this up. S, surrender everything. Say everything. Surrender everything to God. Oh, if I had more, pastor, I would give more. How often we've all said that, but Luke has something to say about that statement in Luke chapter 16 and verse 10. He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. And he who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. What did Luke mean? He means if you're not giving sacrificially with what you have now, you're not going to give sacrificially just because you have more. There's a spiritual principle at work here in our lives, and that principle has shown time and time again. It's not how much we have of the world that dictates our generosity towards God, but how much God has of us. There's a big difference. That's powerful. But here's the problem in in a nutshell. The question for Christians is very simple. Am I going to live like the world, basically trust in myself, become independent and do my own thing? Or am I going to live under these Christian principles so that God has more of me? And I'm go- am I going to be truly trusting, truly obedient, truly dependent upon God? Is God going to be my source? Or am I going to do it the old American way and pull myself up by the bootstraps and pave my own way? See, that's the issue this morning, folks. It's not... Your talent, it's not your time, it's not your abilities, and it's certainly not just about your money. The issue is very simple though. Who do I put my trust in? Who do I put my trust in? That's it. Jeremiah describes both, I want you to to see this this morning. He describes both an independent person and a person of trust or dependence on God. And here's what he has to say about the independent person in Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 5. He said, Cursed is the one who trusts in man, who depends on flesh for his strength, and whose heart turns away from the Lord. He will be like, I want you to notice what he says, what we'll be like if we're independent and we do our own thing. He'll be like a bush in the wastelands. He will not see prosperity when it comes, and he will dwell in the parched places of the desert, in a salt land where no one lives. God says, if you're going to rely upon yourself, you're going to be like a bush. You're going to be pushed in the wind, having no roots, no fruit, nothing. But he goes on and he says what a person who trusts in God and is dependent upon God will be like. In verses 7 and 8, he says, Blessed is the man or the woman who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. He or she will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream It does not fear when heat comes its leaves are always green It has no worries in a year of drought and it never fails to bear fruit I want you to notice something this morning The circumstances were the same for the person who trusts God and the person who doesn't trust God For the one who doesn't trust God there's famine But for the one who's prospering and has leaves. Because his roots are grounded in his only source you got to recognize your source Because his roots are grounded in his source Which is God The situation, the circumstances are the same But the outcome and the result are totally different T, we got to test God's promises That may be something that when you think about You're not sure how you feel about that I want to talk about testing God's promises this morning. I love what Mother Teresa said. And I love Trevor because I said this the first service. I wished I would given it to Trevor so he could put it on a slide for me on the screen. And after the first service, he said, Pastor, will you send me what Mother Teresa said? So he's got it on the screen for you this morning. But I love what she said. I want you to look at this and let it sink in. And I shared this this morning a little after 5 a.m. with those folks that are walking out the trust test today with their only daughter. She said, I know God won't give me anything I can't handle. I just wish he didn't trust me so much. God's word promises us he'll never put more on us than we can bear. And thanks be to God, sometimes the things in this life that we don't understand why we have to face. We don't understand why we have to go through this. We can know that God is trusting us to walk that out in complete and total dependence on Him. And sometimes we will wish He didn't trust us that much. But we'll know that He did because He gave us His Word. And His Word said, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I come to tell you this morning there's nothing you'll ever face in this life. I don't care how bad I don't care how big I don't care how how unsurmountable it may seem. You always remember that this preacher told you if you've got Jesus there's nothing you will ever face in this life that he cannot handle. Just like the song said this morning, he'll go before you, behind you but he's always right beside you. There's no mountain to high, no valley, too low, no trouble, too deep that God will not see you through. You contest God's promises. Why did God trust Mother Teresa so much? If you read much about her life, what an amazing woman of God she was. It's because she had proven to be trustworthy. Listen, if you're doing without something in an area of your need this morning, This book says, My God will, say will, Will. my God will supply. All of your needs according to his riches in glory. My God. First of all, you've got to recognize your source. My God. I don't know about you this morning, but he is my God. He's my source. And this book says, My God will. Doesn't say he might, doesn't say he should, doesn't say he can if he wants to. It says, My God will supply all of your needs according to his riches in glory. When I was working on this sermon, and they can come to the music this morning, it hit me that every great servant of the Lord in the Bible had to go through what we'll call a trust test. And in the middle of their test, they continued serving the Lord. So I want to look at four of them just really quickly. If you start in Genesis and just went through the first four that come to mind in the Bible, here they are. Number one, Noah. Early on in Genesis chapter 7, we read about Noah building the ark. You know the story. We preach about it. But we often skip over this part. Do you remember that when God spoke to, first of all, when God created the heavens and the earth, the Bible said that he divided the waters and the land. He separated them. But when God spoke to Noah and told Noah to build an ark, which was a humongous boat. I've not made it to the ark encounter yet, but I want to do that just to look at that replica. But was it was a humongous boat. And Noah said, "I'm building this boat because God told me it's going to rain. And it's going to rain so much that this boat's going to be the only thing we can float away in." We want to preach the story, and we often forget that at this point in the Bible, it had never rained before in history. Not one drop of water. Some of y'all get all bent out of shape because you're afraid people don't understand when the Holy Ghost moves and people speak in tongues. And they say, oh, them people's crazy. How do you think they'd feel if somebody got some Noah kind of faith going on up in here? And said God told me to build this humongous boat because it's going to rain so much that's going to be the only thing we can float away into safety. They thought he had lost his ever loving mind. And I'm sure they ridiculed him. How would you like to try to explain that to people who were also believers around him? But the Bible tells us and I didn't give them these scriptures to put up here this morning but I'm going to Reference where they are in Genesis chapter 7 and verse 5. The word said, and Noah did according to all that the Lord commanded him. Even though people thought he was crazy, he passed the trust test. He put his trust in God. Secondly, Abraham, on over in Genesis chapter 22, we read about the sacrifice of Isaac. Remember when God spoke to Abraham and he said that he wanted him to sacrifice his only son, Isaac? I don't know if y'all love your kids like I do, but I cannot imagine God asking me to do that, let alone me obeying. I can't imagine it. And as Isaac and Abraham were going up Mount Moriah, little Isaac looked up at Abraham and said, Daddy, where's the sacrifice? Can you imagine? With your little boy going up beside you, Daddy, where's the sacrifice? And Abraham said, God will provide a sacrifice. You talk about trust. You talk about faith and then as Isaac was laid out on that altar and Abraham begins to to raise his arm back with his heart I'm sure pounding out of his chest everything inside of him grieving then God speaks and says to Abraham don't you stretch your hand out to this lad don't you touch Isaac don't you do anything to him the next phrase God says for I know now that you fear God and since you did not withhold your only son from me see Abraham was determined to serve the Lord even if it cost him everything. My God, I wish we had some people in the church today that were determined to serve God even if it cost us everything. Two more very quickly and I'll close. Number three, Joshua. If you get into Joshua chapter 5 you know the story of Moses crossing the Red Sea. If you don't know the story, you probably watched the Ten Commandments, the movie with Charlton Heston. And you know that how he stretches out the rod over those waters and the water parts. That's all these people knew. Can you imagine the folks that were hollering at, hollering at Joshua as he was going up the Jordan? Huh, I'm going to preach this for just a moment. See, I didn't plan this in my notes. But the Holy Ghost got in the midst at 8.45, and I preached something I hadn't even thought about preaching, and it's good, so I'm going to preach it again. I can just imagine some of those people, Christina, hollering at Joshua and saying, Wait a minute, Joshua. Where's your rod? you got to do it like Moses did it. You stretch out your rod, God will part the waters. We'll walk through. Everything will be okay. Joshua, you're not doing it like Moses did it. You need to do it like Moses did it. I want to tell you something this morning. We've got a Joshua generation rising up in this place. And we need to stop limiting them to what God did for the Moses generation. Maybe, just maybe, God wants to do something new in the Joshua generation. Why do you say that, Pastor? Here's why I say that. Because Joshua didn't stretch out no rod. Joshua didn't do it the way Moses did it. You know what Joshua did? As a matter of fact, Joshua's way came with a few less instructions and a whole lot more faith. Joshua had to do it the way he was told, and that was, you got to take a step of faith. If you don't know the story, here's what it said. When you get to the waters, now you've got to remember those waters were raging. They it wasn't something you just wanted to hop in and swim, Brother Johnny. You didn't want to take a dip and get cooled off. If you got baptized this morning, you're saying cooled off. My goodness, that was a hot tub. It was, praise the Lord. I can tell you that. But you didn't just say, I want to take a little dip and get cooled off. Those waters was raging. If you stepped in, you thought the current would surely just sweep you away. But you know what Joshua did? He had to take a step of faith. Woo! I feel that this morning. He had to take a step of faith. He may not be doing it the way Moses did it. Did you hear me? But he was taking a step of faith under the direction of God. Let me talk to some Joshua's in this house today. If you're in here under the age of 25, let me tell you something. I want to talk to you for just a minute. Don't you worry about looking like me or acting like me or looking like mama or acting like daddy or looking like grandma and grandpa and acting like they do when they're in the presence of God. Don't you worry about that. Don't you let that concern you. Just make sure you get in the presence of God, whatever it looks like, whatever it sounds like. We need God to raise up some Joshua in this day. But when Joshua took a step into that water, the Bible said when you put your foot in the water, the water will stop. And so it was, the word said in Joshua chapter 5 verse 1, when all the kings of the Amorites who were on the west side of the Jordan and all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan from before the children of Israel until we had crossed over, that their heart melted and there was no spirit in them any longer because of the children of Israel. Joshua passed the trust test. One more this morning. David. David go on over, to, and I could do a bunch more, but I have to stop it for You go on over to 1 Samuel chapter 17. We preach and teach the story all the time about David fighting Goliath. Most of you know the story. But see, come on up here and help me, Elijah, wherever you went. You got your glasses on now, I know who you are. I told him that this morning, and he said, we're getting new glasses next month. I just said, that's alright, don't get them just alike, Amen. I want you to know this in this story. We preach and teach the story all the time. But when Saul found out that David was going to fight Goliath, you know what Saul did? The first of all, you need to understand something about Saul. Saul was six foot four, and according to most Bible scholars, and he weighed about 225 pounds. That was Saul. Now, I've got one of those covered, and I ain't six foot four. Amen, somebody. Matter of fact, I'm in the pulpit today. After that cruise last week, it's probably more like 2:35, but it ain't none of your business. But Saul was six foot four; he weighed 225 pounds, and David, most Bible scholars say, was five foot six, and he weighed 130. Elijah weighs 110. But you get the picture. You know what the Bible said that Saul did when Saul found out that David. I didn't plan this this morning either. This was something else the Lord gave me on the spot. But the Bible said that Saul, when he found out David was going to fight that giant, Saul took his armor and he put it on David. And he dressed him for the battle. My Lord, how bad you make me look. But I want you to look at this. This is the same kind of vein that I was preaching on just a minute ago. Listen to me, younger generation. You don't need to wear my armor. You don't need to wear mama's armor or daddy's armor. You need an armor that fits you. Because David quickly realized that this wasn't doing anything except weighing him down. It was too big. It was too heavy. It was too constricting and confining. But when he laid aside Saul's armor because it worked for Saul, didn't mean it was going to work for David. Did you hear what I said this morning? Because it worked for Saul. I've heard it said all my life. It worked back then. It'll work today. Yeah, you know what? It might have worked back then. But there might be something else that God wants to do today. Today. God doesn't expect this generation to wear your armor to do it with your rod God wants this generation I saw it on them a few weeks ago when they come back from Winterfest God wants to use this generation in a new way and can I tell you if the church ever needs anything new it's today I said if the church ever needed anything new it's today I'm so sick of programs I'm so fed up with formalities and I'm so fed up with legalism and all of these other things that we tried to make it out to be what I want to see is a move of God that'll shape this town shake this city shake this state for the glory of God David discovered when he threw off that armor that didn't belong to him he was a lot freer he wasn't so heavy he could be free for God to use him the way God wanted to use him and guess what? This is what's so good. Now I'm getting something at 11. I didn't even get it at 8.45. I'm just going to start preaching on the fly from now on. I'm getting it better that way. But you know what? Here's what's so good about this. Saul had to have his armor. That's all he knew and that's what he was used to. You know what little David had? Just little David. Five smooth stones and a sling in his hand when faith and trust in God that when I pull this back and let it go it's not going to be my ability but it's going to be God's ability bam! that does the work and gets the job done somebody ought to praise God this morning I said somebody ought to praise God this morning we need a move of God like we've never had before of God if we're going to see a move of God we're going to have to pass the trust test for ourselves. now I'm about to open this altar I'm going to put this on the line for you the next thing I want to see is all the self-righteous hypocrisy leave the church let me say that again The next thing I want to see is all the self-righteous hypocrisy. Leave the church. What are you talking about, pastor? There ain't nobody up in this room this morning perfect. Not even me. None of us. We all need to answer the question. God, do you have 100% of me? Or am I holding something back? Is there an area in my life where I'm not trusting? I had to answer that question for myself this week and I'll be honest with you. There's still that little fragment of doubt and stuff in me. I'm kind of doing a Noah kind of thing except it's rained before. But I'm just trusting God. And I believe God's getting ready to do something that's not only going to blow my mind, it's going to blow your mind. But you know what He wants to do? He wants the church to get right so He can do it. He wants the church to stop holding anything back and give Him 100% of us to God. So if you've never even surrendered your life to God before, I want to invite you to do that today. But if you need to come this morning and you need to say, God, I'm going to relinquish control. I'm going to give this up today and trust you with every fiber of my being. 100% of me this morning. I hope there'll be a lot of people that'll push the hypocrisy aside and you'll join me in this altar this morning as we pray. And then after we spend a few moments in this altar in prayer, I'm going to pray for needs. If you have a special need that you want us to anoint you and pray with and for you, we're going to do that because the word said to anoint with oil. If there's any among you that has a need to anoint with oil and to pray and the prayer of faith shall save the sick and the Lord shall raise him up and if he's committed any sins they shall be forgiven him but you know what Jesus also said he said my house shall be called a house of